We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible and brought one with you, I want you to go to Mark chapter 5. We'll get there in just a, a moment, but let me set it up with this. At, at, at this time of year, with all the graduations that have been happening, um, those families that are have ones who are graduating typically send out what to their family and friends? Invitations. So uh, those of us who have family and friends who are graduating, we typically get invitations. And I was thinking about it this, and they're, they're, fan, they're wonderful. And, and, and the invitations that are going out these days, they're, they're, they're beautiful. With all the photo publication stuff people have access to, they're just gorgeous. I want to put them up all over my wall and stuff, but I, uh, th- th- I would look like a creeper to have all these <laughs> kids' pictures up. But, but, but I was thinking about the, the idea of invitations. And did you know that there's actually invitation etiquette? Did you know that? I, this is new to me. I, 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 don't, I don't know much etiquette about anything, uh, but apparently invitation etiquette starts with wording. There's, there's actually e- invitation etiquette regarding wording. And, and the etiquette for invitations regarding wording is uh, don't get too much of it. Don't be too wordy. Uh, only include the necessary details in your invitations. In other words, the occasion, the date, the time, the, the location of the host, and maybe an RSVP, but that's it. Like if you need to put other stuff out there about, about uh, directions or accommodations or your wish list or your registry, don't do that. That's bad invitation etiquette. Um, and and here's, 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 here's what I was thinking about this whole invitation etiquette stuff. Invitation implies importance. Let that sink in for a little bit. An invitation implies importance. In other words, when we got invitations to graduations or people's parties, it told us that we were of high importance to that individual or family. Does that make sense? And so there's an etiquette to inviting and there's an importance to inviting. It implies importance. Now, if you've ever been invited to something special, you know that you play a special role in that person's life. You also know, if you've been like me, you can be invited to, into something or you can be invited to leave something. <laughs> and if you're like me, you've probably been invited to leave more than you've been invited to join. Sir, we just want to invite you to move from this place to another. We want to invite you to move to the back of the restaurant. We want to invite you to move out of our house. You know, it's just... So an invitation implies importance. When you receive an invitation, a well-crafted invitation, it says, there, you know, someone considers to be important. If you've invite, been invited to leave or to vacate, it implies you're of low importance. You follow me so far? Here's what I want us to, to understand about kingdom. And all through the, the, the gospel arc, we're talking about kingdom, God's kingdom. Kingdom revelation is activated by invitation. Here's, here's what I'm talking about. God's kingdom is always at work. Earlier in the book of Mark, we, we, we read a parable that Jesus told about the growing seed. And it's only listed in the gospel of Mark. And the growing seed is the parable that says this, 
a planter plants it, the seed, and then whether he watches it or not, whether the farmer sleeps or is awake, the seed grows. And all of a sudden, regardless if the farmer understands the process, the seed sprouts up. And Jesus says, you've just been explained to you the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God has been planted and it grows. Whether we understand it or not, doesn't manufacture its growth. It just grows. And every once in a while, we see it pop up and we can recognize that's growth, that's kingdom. So the revelation of the kingdom is activated by invitation. When we invite the kingdom, you know, that's why Jesus said, pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. The invitation of the kingdom. It is always growing. The invitation is for its revelation to be experienced. Mark 5 contains in that time, in the first 20 verses, an invitation. Mark 5, verses 1 through 20, contain an invitation, and it is one of the most tragic passages in all the Bible. Mark 5 verses 1 through 20. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn there as we go through this. Mark 5 contains an invitation. And that invitation has profound implication of Jesus' activity. So let me just read it for you. It's a little longer, so stay with me. You got a a Bible with you, follow along. It's all be on the screen. It's also on our app. But let me just read this passage. They, that's Jesus and the disciples, they had been in an area around the Sea of Galilee where they had been doing, so he had been doing some ministry, some healing, and some some incredible stuff. They went across the lake to the region of the Grassinines. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of that area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Jesus gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. 
Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. One of the most tragic passages in all the Bible. I'll explain why in just a moment. But here was a man who was indelt and dwelt with demons, a lot of demon activity. And some people would suggest that this, is the, this man is the only reason Jesus went from one side of the lake to the other because this is the only thing he did there. As soon as he did this, he went back. So some would suggest that the fact that Jesus left this part of the lake and went over to this spot and healed this guy and then went back, that this guy was the only reason Jesus went over, that he left everybody to take care of this man. Some people would say that. I don't agree with that. I don't think Jesus had one man in mind. I think he had a region in mind. I think Jesus had great plans for the people there, but he wasn't able to accomplish them. Here's what I want you to understand. The intent of God's kingdom is to transform what the devil's kingdom has deformed. That's the intent of God's kingdom. The intent of God's kingdom is to transform that which the devil's kingdom has deformed. But the kingdom of God must be invited to stay. The rule and reign of God, though it pops up now and then, must be invited to stay. No, no. Jesus left where he was and went across the lake. Who invited him to come over to that side of the lake? Let's pretend like I'm not asking rhetorical questions. So from what we read... Where was the invitation for Jesus to leave where he was and to go over the side? Like, who was? No, but there was no invitation. Jesus just said, hey, I got an idea. Let's go over there. Here, here's my point. The only reason that Jesus went over to that region with the plan to introduce the kingdom of God was by the grace of God. They had done nothing to deserve it. They had done nothing to merit it. They didn't even necessarily ask for it. It was simply by God's grace that God said, I want to burst my kingdom forth in their midst, which that's good news. Because none of us are in the position where we sit here deserving God's kingdom to burst forth. So by his grace for the undeserving, he chooses to let it be known and to come forth. But these people, having seen a glimpse of the kingdom of God, rather than inviting it to stay, invited him to leave. And that, my friends, is the most tragic thing in Scripture. When you have a glimpse of the kingdom of God and the transformative work of the kingdom of God in a life, and then you ask it to depart. Tragic. Look at this thing. This man lived in the tombs. No one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
He broke the chains. He broke the iron around his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day and day and night. He's amongst the tombs and the hills crying out and cutting himself. Such incredible self-destruction. Violent and out of control. Mark 5 is a story of two kingdoms. And the common solution to those who are enslaved, to those who are broken, to the violent, to the chain, to those out of control, the current solution according to the kingdom of this world is just chain them up and incarcerate them and keep them away from all those good folk. Do you understand? If you're too out of control, the solution according to this kingdom is to chain you up, lock you up, incarcerate you, and get rid of you. The kingdom solution is to restore and to make whole. And as I was reading this, the first thing that struck me is who will be the interveners on behalf of the kingdom of God to those who are chained and incarcerated and broken and possessed by things that are killing them. Most good people want to sit back and say, just get them away. Let me live my life in peace. Don't let them affect. But the kingdom of God has come to transform that which the kingdom of devil has deformed. Through whom does it come? Though through those who invite it to stay. See, kingdom brings life to graveyards. Literally, spiritually, figuratively. And there are some people in this place right now whose life is living in a graveyard of past, of fear, of sin, of destruction. And the kingdom of God has come to transform that which the kingdom of the devil has deformed. Now, in Mark 5, if we don't understand the context, we're going to miss the content. So I want to give you the context of Mark chapter 5. It's important to understand the background spiritually and, and contextually what's happening here. In Mark 5, what we see is the conflict of two kingdoms, the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of this world, and the kingdom of God. And around the kingdom of this world was the superstition that if you said the exact name of the individual, you then gain spiritual authority over the individual. That is why the demons in addressing Jesus shout, what do you want with me? Look at the title, Jesus, son of the most high God. According to the belief at the time, using the exact name of the individual gave you power spiritually and authority over the individual. So what was happening here? By addressing Jesus by his exact name, Jesus, son of the most high God, there was a desperate attempt to gain control over Jesus and over his authority and over the rule and the reign of God. They didn't call Jesus son of the most high God as an act of worship, my goodness, no. These were demons. What they were doing was an attempt to overshadow and overpower the kingdom of God that was about to burst forth in their midst. See, demons had the right identity. They just didn't have a heart. Verse 
And so in response, Jesus, knowing what's going on, responds in verse 9. And Jesus says, what is your name? You understand? And they respond, what? Legion. Hmm. I would have understood it easily if they said, well, my name's George. <laughs> you know, I, Herbert, that's my name. They said Legion. Legion's not a name. Legion's a title. Legion is an indication. A Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. So they don't respond with the name. Why? Because of that superstitious belief that if we tell you our name, you have authority over us. And so they're trying again to subvert the rule and the reign and the authority of the kingdom of God over them. They're trying to deny the authority and the work of Jesus himself. And they're also, by saying the word legion, trying to, to intimidate by fear Jesus with such a large number. But here's the thing about the kingdom of God, and here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus does not buy into neither superstition nor fear. And neither should his people. So the context of what's going on here is a battle between the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of Israel, and the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God refuses to be intimidated by fear nor by size of opposition. That's what we have to understand. The kingdom of God will never be intimidated by fear tactics nor by the size of the opposition. And so people who are a part of the kingdom of God ought never be intimidated by the kingdom of the evil and the kingdom of this world, by its fear tactics, nor by the apparent size of its opposition against us. This is a clear case of the battle that's being waged right now. Right now still. Between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the evil one. The kingdom of God knows that there is no weapon formed against me that shall stand. You can say legion or two legion. It don't matter to me. There ain't no weapon that can form, that be formed that will stand against me. The kingdom of God knows that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You can call yourself whatever you want. You can look as big or bad as whatever you want. But there is nothing greater out there than what is, resides in here. The kingdom of God knows that whatever you intend for evil, God intends for you. The kingdom of God knows That it works all things together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. The kingdom of God knows. And so the kingdom of God and the people of the kingdom of God will never be intimidated by the devil's fear tactics nor by the size of the opposition. That's what's going on here in Mark chapter 5. And that's what we're invited into. This is the context behind every ill, behind every evil, behind all death, behind all the decay of life. Two kingdoms in conflict. And that's why Jesus said, when he taught his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come. May your will, which is your kingdom, be on this earth right now. What? Why is it? Why? Why all these demons care about this poor guy? I mean, what was he doing before this happened? Now, it says he's part of the Decapolis. That's a, city, a, a series of 10 cities. 
and they're Gentiles, so they're non-Jews series. And so he's probably sitting around eating a, a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. <laughs> he's not a Jew, he can eat bacon. I don't know. He just, like he's probably just minding his own business, and all of a sudden, like why do these, why do these demons attack this poor fella? Well, let me tell you why I think. Because the devil hates the image of God. And mankind is created in the image of God. And the devil knows that he is a defeated foe who cannot wage any war against God. And so the only way the devil attacks the image of God is to attack people made in the image of God. And the devil has the same goal for Christ followers to wreck the image of God in us. And he does that by attacking our sexuality, our identity, our value. But please understand that for the child of God, the devil's tactics are limited in scope because of what Jesus did on the cross, because Jesus has disarmed the evil. That's what the Bible says in Colossians 2 verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, the kingdom of the devil, he, Jesus, made spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is what the Bible says. Jesus, by virtue of the cross of Christ, when he died on the cross, made a spectacle of the devil and his kingdom. And when it says made a spectacle of it, it means literally he paraded them around the heavenlies and they all made fun of him. By virtue of the cross, Jesus has won and gained victory over the evil one, his demons, and that kingdom. And so the scope of the attack of the image of God against God's people is limited. But he can still deceive, and he can still intimidate, and cause fear and unbelief. And this is the battle that's going on right now. Verses 8 through 10. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name's Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of them. Don't miss this. Look, look at what's happened here. Jesus says, Come out of them. And they say, No, we don't want to. And Jesus says, What's your name? They say, we're legion. There's a whole bunch of us. And Jesus says, come out. And they say, no, no, no. We want to stay. Did you notice this? That the demons did not immediately do what Jesus commanded them to do? Like Jesus says, come out. And they're like, no, nah, I think we'll stay. Now, if you're a Bible person, that ought to cause some problems to your theology. Right? If the heavens were created by the word of God, actually the Bible says by Jesus they were created. If he spoke the heavens into being, if he spoke light into being, if he spoke the planets into being, if he spoke and things have, now he speaks, come out, and they say, no. Is it because... The devil's more powerful sometimes? 
I would hope you would have responded with no right away to that question. So then why doesn't it work? Well, eventually it did. And, and if you want to know the reason why, you got to come back in a couple of weeks and I'll tell you why because there's another <laughs> part in the Bible where something like this happens again. But they have this conversation about it. They don't leave right away. Why? Well, let, let, let me just highlight a couple of things. One, one thing I want to highlight is this. Hey, just keep praying. Just keep praying. You might not see the results right away. But don't be a one and done person. Just keep at it. The Bible says in Daniel 10 that the man of God prayed for the move of God and immediately upon the prayer, God sent the answer. But the answer was delayed 21 days because of demon, demonic activity in the unseen world. So keep praying. You might not see it right away. That's okay. The answer's done. Just keep praying. It might take a little while. Just keep praying. The other thing we have to realize, that the kingdom of the devil is not simplistic nor weak. And it will not give up its territory without a fight. Don't grow weary. Don't go faint of heart. Because we know, Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against powers of this dark world. The kingdom of the devil, that's our struggle. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, the kingdom of the evil, that's our struggle. And it's not a simplistic fight, but it's fought simply by the name of Jesus and the authority that he gained on the cross. When he indeed triumphed over them and made a spectacle of them, they know they're a defeated foe, but they ain't going to go without a fight. And that's what we see in the struggle between two kingdoms in Mark 5. And that, my friends, is our current reality still. Verses 11 through 17. This large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. Demons begged Jesus, just send us amongst those pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave him permission. Large, the, the inferior spirits came out of the man, went into the pigs. 2,000 in number, rushed down a hill and were drowned in the lake. Those tending, now watch this. Those tending those pigs ran off and reported this in the town of the countryside. And all the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, look at this. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were so happy. What's it say? <laughs> Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to... <sighs> Tragic plead with Jesus to leave. So the demons begged you, send us into those pigs. Maybe the demons wanted to go into those pigs because they knew what they would do to those pigs, kill them. And they knew that that would hurt Jesus' reputation. Like, like in, in our day, those pigs, over the course of their lives and what those farmers would do to them and with them, you're talking anywhere between two hundred fifty dollars to $500,000 lost. And maybe the demons thought, maybe if we do that to these pigs, it'll hurt Jesus' reputation. Well, here, here's what we have to understand. That sometimes kingdom priorities are going to be costly. Sometimes it's going to cost us. And we have to be okay with that. 
Sometimes kingdom's priorities are going to cost us finances. Sometimes kingdom priorities are going to cost us relationships. Sometimes kingdom's priorities are going to cost us our vocation. Sometimes kingdom's priorities are going to be costly. But that's okay, because the Bible says in Matthew 6, seek first his what? His kingdom and his right, and all this other stuff we take care of. It's okay. As I look at what happened to these pigs, I realized something that we've got to get. Man, we can't play with the devil nor play in the kingdom of the devil. This is something we don't play around with. If you claim to be a Christ follower, you can't live like a subject of the world's kingdom. I think one of the reasons Jesus sent the demons into the pigs, he knew what was going to happen to those pigs. And I think the reason he sent them into those pigs is so the people could see the final destination and destruction of what happens in the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world always always results in destruction. And when we play with sin, and when we play in the kingdom of this world, the end result will be destruction. James 1.15 is very clear. Sin fully grown gives birth to death. And so I think Jesus is saying, let me just show you what happens when you play in the kingdom of this world. And then let me show you what happens when you invite the kingdom of God. That's Mark 5, the conflict of two kingdoms. Here's what I know, that if you and I are going to pray to Jesus, we must be ready to surrender to Jesus. If we're going to pray to Jesus, we got to be ready on the front end to surrender to Jesus. Did you know that these demons prayed to Jesus. They made requests of Jesus. They begged Jesus, but they never were willing to surrender to his commands. Here's what I have to ask myself. How often have I prayed like a demon? Maybe you want to ask yourself that question. How often have you prayed like a demon? Jesus, I got requests. Jesus, I got needs. Jesus, I got wants, but I'm not yet willing to submit to everything you say. If we're going to pray to Jesus, there got to be a commitment on the front end to surrender to his word and to his command. Otherwise, we're no better than demons. A heart not surrendered to Jesus will be a life without the intervention of God. The conflict of two kingdoms. This is the reality of what's going on right now. Look at this. This is crazy to me. This is crazy. I don't know, man. I like studying the Bible so much because there's so much. Like, oh, my God, did you know? Like, I like geeking out about this stuff, man. This is, look at this. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting, dressed, in his right mind, and they were what? They're more afraid of a redeemed man than a possessed man. That ought not surprise me. Because that's the same thing that's going on in our culture right now. 
Our culture is more afraid of a redeemed man than they are a possessed man. Here's what I know, that kingdom people scare people. And that's okay. Society wants everyone to think the same and look the same and act the same according to the patterning of this world's kingdoms and its priorities. And the kingdom of this world is terrified of people of another kingdom. And that's why they'll try to silence you and cancel you and shame you into submission and fear. Christian, go on and scare them. Sick people want you to stay sick. Refuse to live anymore amongst the tombs. Invite the kingdom of God into your world. Come out and live. I have tasted health and I have tasted liberation and you can't keep me sick living in the tombs anymore. It's the kingdom of God. Now watch this. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man had, who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus said, no, y'all go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell all over the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. I, I, this guy, like... He's one of the ones that you'd want in your corner. Like, this guy would have done anything for Jesus at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like, he'd have gone anywhere, done anything. Like, and Jesus said, no, no, no. You're going back to your home. Now, he said it in a nice way because he's like tender and compassionate and all that stuff. But he basically says, go on home. And you tell everybody you come in contact with how much God is it. Here's what he did. Go home. Tell them how much the Lord's done for you. Because here's the thing, and this way says to everyone, only you can tell your story, your huddle. Every one of us has 8 to 15 people around our life that we have influence in their lives. They're close to us. We're around them all the time in different seasons of life. And every one of us has that 8 to 15, that huddle around us. And Jesus says, if you have been redeemed, if you are following me, you go back to them and tell them your experience of me. The only reason, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that he didn't take you to heaven the moment you accepted him is because you got a huddle who needs to hear his story. So go on home and scare them with the kingdom. The craziest part of this whole story, verse 17, the people began to plead with Jesus to leave. They invited Jesus. Imagine if they invited him to stay. Imagine what could have happened if they said, Jesus, we want you to stay. We're inviting your kingdom into our world. Imagine. Remember, invitation implies importance. Jesus and his kingdom was not very important to them. Is it important to us? What is his invitation? from you into your world. How much could have been done? How many entombed could have been freed? How many sick could have been healed? 
How many in chains could have been released? How much could have been done had he been invited to stay? Let it sink in. See, here's what I know. The kingdom of God appears where Jesus is invited to stay. The kingdom of God appears because it is always at work. It appears where he's invited to stay. See, the kingdom of the world says this, God, we want you around. We just don't want you in the middle of everything. The kingdom of this world says, we want you to solve our problems. We just, don't, we just also want you to save our pigs. Like, don't mess stuff up too much. The kingdom of God. Oh, that's a different story. The kingdom of God, that's a different world. The kingdom of God, that's a different element. The kingdom of God steps into dead places when he's invited. The kingdom of God raises old bones when he's invited. The kingdom of God breaks chains of those who are when he's invited. The kingdom of God is a different animal altogether. It's greater in size and it's greater in scope than any opposition that comes against it. The kingdom of God. Some people want Jesus at a distance. They want to be in his kingdom in eternity. They just don't want to live in the kingdom on earth. We have an opportunity to invite Jesus to stay. We have an opportunity to invite Jesus to enter. We have an opportunity to invite Jesus to act. We have an opportunity to invite Jesus to restore. We have an opportunity to invite Jesus to lead. We have an opportunity to invite Jesus to heal. Your kingdom come. Imagine how much more could be done if he's invited. Imagine how much more could be done in your marriage if he's invited into your marriage. Imagine how much more could be done in your relationships if the kingdom of God is invited into your relationships. Imagine how much more can be done in your finances if he's a, the kingdom of God is invited into those finances. Imagine how much more can be done in your plans if you invite the kingdom of God into them. Imagine how much more. I just don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to get to heaven. I mean, I want you to get to heaven. I, that, that started wrong. <laughs> Just saying, I don't want you to get to heaven and realize how much of the kingdom you missed on, on earth. God, your kingdom come. We have the opportunity to experience the kingdom of God in our midst through the person of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to miss it. God has invited you into his kingdom. Have you invited the kingdom into your life? I want to invite you, if you so dare, to be a scary person. Whether you choose to in the quietness of your own heart or you choose to with the boisterous lips, to invite the kingdom, to invite Jesus, and through him the kingdom into your life. I want you to pray with me. If you so dare to be a scary person, just not a saved person, a scary saved person, and to just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life, and I want you to stay. Jesus, I want your kingdom in my world, and I want it to stay. Jesus, 
your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come. I invite it into my life, and I invite you to stay. I don't want you to go anywhere else. I don't want you to walk away from me. I want you to stay. I want you to stay in my life. I want you to stay in my world. I want you to stay in my marriage. I want you to stay in my children. I want you to stay in my... I want you to stay. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, in my life, as it already is done in heaven. Amen. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I want to encourage you to invite Jesus to stay and then watch for the kingdom to appear. You don't have to know how it happens. You don't have to know. You just have to know that it happens. So you invite Jesus to stay. You invite the kingdom of God to stay. And then just keep your eyes open to watch for when it appears. Because it will appear. And so we say as a church that we want the kingdom to stay. We say as a church, stay. God, stay. Jesus, stay kingdom of God come creating us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us do not cast us away from your presence do not take your Holy Spirit from us restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us by your generous spirit God we just want you to stay in our midst your kingdom